The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Go get a cup of coffee in here, please. Damn good coffee and hot. Good morning, folks. I hope you're enjoying your coffee this morning. It is Tuesday, right? Tuesday, right? August 30th, 2022. Uh, summer waning. Seeing summer on its way out. Labor Day weekend is upon us. Um, the official, unofficial, the official, unofficial end of summer this weekend. Um, Get your party in and while you got it. Get it while it's hot, folks. Uh, today, Mark Masters uh, from Vail, Colorado, comedian, writer, a host of Vail Comedy, uh, will be with me at 10 a.m. Should be interesting to get to meet him. I have not met him. I am. I have only become familiar with his work online. Very funny guy, but uh, he bills himself as a second cleanest uh, comedian in Colorado. So I'm going to see if I can't just kind of get him to do something, something, anything that's not squeaky clean. If we could uh, drop an F-bomb. I mean, one couldn't hurt. One little F-bomb. Just, just, just a good measure. Anyway, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Um, crazy day yesterday for me i went to um uh, a gig i had at the uh va in north point new york which is quite a drive from where i am uh and i had to wrap up my morning show a little early to get to one because it was an unusually early scheduled gig and so i made the drive i got all i just got there uh, took out all my equipment. I made the phone call that you have to make at the door to let a receptionist know that I was there and it looked like, you know, weather was iffy. I don't know. It's going to be indoors. It's going to be outdoors. I'll make the call. Let's do it outdoors. I don't think it's going to rain. Set up, setting up outdoors, do my little sound check. I'm doing a song by myself and a guy comes out and says, um, we don't have music today. <laughs> it's scheduled for Wednesday. Like, no, I'm sure it's scheduled for today. Oh, man, I made this drive. I set up all the equipment, just ready to go. And now you tell me it's Wednesday, not today. Uh, So I checked my contract, and sure enough, it's Wednesday, not yesterday. So that was uh, a good start to the day. Um, And just went downhill from there. Lots of frustrations in the business world with um uh, listen i'm gonna bash bluehost here if you've got a website on bluehost bluehost.com is your host get off of them find a better host they have first of all the service is terrible nobody there uh 
understands English very well. They, I think most of their support team, I think this is true, is in Vietnam. And they speak English, they just don't understand English. <laughs> so you could tell them your situation and what you need uh, to be remedied a hundred times, and they just don't get it. So you can write it down, they still don't get it. I've been dealing with four clients that I established many, many years ago who were on Bluehost when I got them, dealing with them for many years. And they're the worst service of any any uh, hosting company I've ever uh, dealt with. Bluehost, get off them. If you're on Bluehost, I'm saying this right now, uh, and they could sue me if they don't like, don't like what I'm saying, and I'm sure they don't like what I'm saying, by the way. Worst hosting company in the world. Get off them. I can recommend several hosts um, that are better, better service, less expensive, uh, just all, all around better options. Uh, I can do that uh, if you DM me, but uh, if they want to sign up, I will be happy to do it on air and start naming some. <laughs> I'm always pitching. Always be pitching. Always be closing. Uh, tomorrow, Dean O'Hara will be with me guest hosting, uh, and we'll be um, trying to get him to dance for us to reggae. To uh, but I got to find a reggae song that is not protected by copyright. I can play some reggae and see if I can get him to dance for us, <laughs> or just bust his balls about dancing to reggae. Anyway, uh, tonight I have a a, a uh, yoga and meditation uh, lady who's going to be my guest on the evening program. That should be, uh, I don't know anything about that stuff. Yoga to me just seems like uh, <laughs> um, like, like something I could never do. I don't get it. I understand it brings a lot of peace to some people. I'm not sure if it's an exercise program, it's a religion. What the hell is it? Um. <clears throat> And to be frank, uh, some of the um, <laughs> some some of the exercises, some of the positions, just seem impossible at my. They seem impossible when I was young and flexible and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but I'll learn about. It. I'll, I'll approach it with an open mind, but think I'm, it's mostly for young people. Mostly for young people. Anyway, so that's what we'll talk about tonight. Um, and later this week, Michael uh, Thursday, uh, Michael Hilliard will be back with me. Now that will take a little break from the comedy stuff. Uh, Michael, as you know, the Red Line uh, podcast. Michael is a uh, independent journalist from Australia with uh, real insight to things that are going on in the world news that you don't necessarily hear. World news that you don't know what anything that's going on like. And I don't know. And that's why it's good to touch base with him every once in a while. It's been a long time. It's been probably four months since Michael's been on the program. Uh, it's time for an update, a time for a refresher, a time to, to talk about things, to find out what's really going on in the world beyond the U.S. borders, beyond our insane politics that are going on here uh, in the United States of America, where it really is idiocracy to the, to the uh, unbelievable degree uh, that we, we're living in today. So, um, 
So it'll be good to talk to Michael on Thursday. Uh, what else we got going on this week? Uh, Wednesday night, do we have something? Oh, yeah, Inner Wealth uh, Wednesday night. And then a doctor who was pitched to me. He's an obstetrician. Uh, and he's written his first novel, uh, Stanley Berry, Dr. Stanley Berry, MD. Uh, but his publicist told me he's hysterically funny. That will be 8 p.m. He should have been a comedian, is what they say. He missed his calling as a comedian, stand-up comedian. I don't think he's going to be trying to just... We're going to be talking about his book. But uh, it should be interesting to, to meet uh, a doctor who has uh, missed his calling and should have been a stand-up comedian. No, we'll see. That's the week as it wraps up for you. And then Friday on the morning program, uh, William Conway has uh, done it again. He's gotten me another Friday guest. Um, Preston Williams. Now that name just, for me, that's a very commercial name. First of all, I don't, I've only, this is the fourth Preston <laughs> I've known in my life. Uh, one of them, Preston Nichols, was an absolute um, nut job, an insane person. Uh, but very smart. But Preston always sounds like a very commercial name anyway. Uh, Preston, uh, author of the Montauk Project, Preston Nichols. Now, Preston Williams, uh, what does that remind me of? Preston, somebody else with an M. There's another M. Having my senior moments again. You know, I blew the memory. Uh, test that I had signed up for, a clinical uh, memory, memory test. Uh, this week, I was scheduled to take take part in a clinical study about memory loss. Uh-oh, wait till you hear his whole name. Uh, oh, good morning, William. Good morning, Dean, in the chat room. Good to see you guys. Uh, chat room's a little slow, and that's, that's fine. Um, clinical memory loss. So uh, I signed up for this test, but I bought this medical marijuana um, called Malawi memory loss. What's in a name? What's in a name? And I smoked a little bit before my phone call uh, with the clinician. And uh, basically went through the survey that morning and she said, "Uh, you don't qualify. Your memory is too good to take part in the test. That's fucked up. Like every time, it's like when, when, your car is making a noise and you bring it to the mechanic and then you get it there and it doesn't make the noise. It's like, you know, I know I have memory problems. Believe me, I can't remember my name half the time. I can't remember my best friend's name sometimes. Uh, but I remember it now. So you have no memory loss. You can't take part in the study. But I, but, 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 no, but. So it's that situation. So anyway, um, so that's what's going on this week, and I look forward to it. It's a uh, um, today, believe it or not, is sixty-three years to the day Hawaii became a state, the fiftieth state. Is that is that uh, impressive trivia to you? Do you care about that? They added a, a flag, the fiftieth star to the flag of the United States of America, sixty-three years ago today. Um, so that's, uh, something, something to talk about. If you live in Hawaii, you're probably, uh, full of pride about this date. I think, I don't really, the only 
Hawaiian native resident I know is uh, Kermit Apio. Uh And I didn't see him posting about it, anything about it. And you never see people from Hawaii like celebrating Hawaii statehood. To me, that would be something I would be interested in. Uh, in the news yesterday, let's get to some of... Uh, I can't... Because every time I talk about Joe Rogan, it's like, why are you obsessed with this guy? Well, I'm not obsessed with this guy. He trends a lot. People, you know who's obsessed with him? America. And um, yesterday, I think, uh, was probably uh, the uh, the high watermark of stupidity for him. I don't know. Low watermark? Is it high watermark? He, he demonstrated... Just how fucking stupid he really is. Now it's hard to say, you know. People, are, oh, but he's got, uh, he's worth so uh, two hundred million dollars is what they're saying right now. Nah, uh, well, maybe, maybe one hundred fifty million dollars somewhere in there. So that means he's not stupid. No, you could, you could step in shit in life and get lucky. You can be stupid. You can be a stupid person and get very, very rich. Believe me, I have more examples of this in my life than I can count. A lot of really stupid people. But Rogan, for for all his influence, um, he doesn't. He doesn't. He's inconsistent, and I think, I think he's a bit of a suck-up to whoever is in front of him. He's going to try to agree with and impress the people who are in front of him, forgetting that there are 11 million people watching and listening to say, wait a minute, you said something completely different yesterday. You are inconsistent and not being real now, but he still remains... um, consistent with his followers uh good morning uh craig sausage fest what's going on sausage fest tell, tell me about that i don't even know what that means sausage fest is there a sausage festival or is that some kind of joke that spam basically invented because hawaii became a state spam was invented because hawaii became a state i'm going to read that one more time spam was basically invented because hawaii became a state doesn't make sense to me. What, what is that a joke or am I missing something? Uh, oh, all dudes in the chat. Yes, there are all dudes in the chat. There ain't much in the chat. There's three dudes in the chat. No, right? Four dudes in four dudes in the chat. Anyway, um, the Rogan stuff. He was talking to Aaron Rodgers about voting Republican, except. It's like that. This is what he's saying now, but for the last year, he has been arguing. Why do people call me right wing? Why do people call me Republican? I'm not a Republican. I'm a liberal. This is what he's been saying, arguing it out loud. Now, I don't care if you're a Republican. And I don't. I I have friends who are Republicans. But if you're a Republican, say you say you know, be honest about what you are. He's been arguing a lot 
Why do people label me as a Republican? Why do people call me right wing? And then he comes out and says, the answer to all our problems in America, vote Republican. Now, he's got one issue, one issue alone that he thinks Republicans have done a better job on, and that is COVID. Because just two days before that, he was arguing with some dipshit about abortion stuff, and he was taking the Democrat and liberal position on abortion. And he was doing it passionately. But his big issue with the Republicans, with, with, with politics in general, is COVID. And he thinks Ron DeSantis is a hero because he kept businesses open and didn't have vaccine mandates and all that stuff. And that's the most important thing to Rogan. Forgetting every other issue and also forgetting that the vaccine was a Republican vaccine. It was it was put out by the Republican Party. It was Donald Trump's Operation Warp Speed. Uh, but so he's saying vote Republican. That will fix all the problems in America right now. But overlooking all the other issues, including the Joe Rogan is a criminal on a daily basis. He's a class A felon on a daily basis in the state of Texas because of Texas Republicans who have the toughest drug laws in the nation and particularly marijuana laws where uh, if you smoke like he does, you're a class A felon. But he also, he, uh, he does many other substances. He admits to it, mushrooms and, and DMT and all that stuff. Uh, he said he was doing mushrooms every single day uh, during that period where he was uh, really under fire for uh, the tape that came out with him with saying the N-word a hundred times and it, all that stuff. He was doing mushrooms every day to get through that. That's what he claimed. Now, that's a, that's a felony in Texas. Uh, so he's saying, keep me a felon. Keep voting in the people that are making uh, me uh, everything I do in my entire life illegal. Is that the stupidest fucking position anybody can take? I am happy to be doing things that are illegal. I'm happy the the people I support are making me a criminal for living the life that I live. That's what he's telling me. Very, very fucking weird. Uh, we're getting back to this, uh, the spam thing. Wait, uh, <clears throat> Hormel was looking to tap into the Hawaiian market once it became a state, but they had to ship products there. But because it's too far, so far, meat uh, would spoil unless it was canned. So they made spam. Is that necessarily true? I don't know because we're talking 1959 when they became a state. Uh, I learned this the spam museum in Austin. I don't think it's necessarily when they became a state. I think it's when they became a territory. Because I would think by 1960, I mean, air travel was a thing. Uh, it, it wasn't so far that, you know, you couldn't keep stuff fresh for 3,000 miles across the ocean at that point. Uh, and so I'm, I'm thinking not necessarily because I could be wrong about this. Of course, I could be wrong about everything. I, I am often wrong, uh, but I'm thinking it's probably because when Hawaii became a territory, 
not when it became a state. I'll look into it, though. Uh, people in Guam of Guam and Spam uh, eat Spam two meals a day, according to Kevin. Oh, I'm getting sick just thinking about that. Um, I think I ate Spam once in my life. Or I didn't even eat it. I put it in my mouth once and spit it out. I do believe if there was some kind of apocalypse or some kind of survival moment and all that was left with spam, I would die of hunger. I do think I would die of hunger. I just can't. Uh, let me read what Kevin is saying about the spam in Guam. Young man I served with from Guam was uh, only one in was only one in our unit who loved spam and talked about it. Bubba Gump Shrimp. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How do people survive? How do you survive on that? It is poisonous. Oh, good morning, Kelly. At least we have uh, uh, one person who's not a dude in in the chat room. Good, good morning. Pretty sure it's a dude's birthday. Oh, happy birthday, dude. Uh, it's my ex-wife's birthday today, Lori, uh, Lori Thompson. Uh, now, well, formerly Lori Atkins, then Lori Napo, now Lori Thompson. <laughs> it's her birthday. Happy birthday, Lori. Uh, and happy birthday, dude, whoever whoever the dude is. Um, anyway, uh, we will move on. What else is in the news today? What else is, well, we don't want to, we don't really care about, I know, I don't, I want to stay away from politics if I can just for today. Uh, just because it's just, it's so fucking frustrating. Nothing's ever changing. And all we get is, like, barking mad dogs on Twitter uh, all day long. All the barking dogs. Um, there are things that are going on, though, that I am... Now, Antifa was, was trending today. I don't know why, but I think... Um, and I, this is getting back into politics. I thought it was in uh, the entertainment realm because so many people in entertainment were calling out, coming out and declaring themselves, I am Antifa. Uh, Kid Rock is trending today. Why is Kid Rock trending? Uh, I have no idea why Kid Rock would be trending, or why he's even relevant at this point in any, in any way. Uh, Anybody know why why Chris Rock, uh, Kid Rock is Chris Rock Kid Rock is uh, trending today? Uh, Ted Nugent is trending uh, and and Kid Rock both trending together. Well, stupidity must be the order of the day, I guess. Then, um, because you you don't get two more like untalented, lucky privileged assholes than those two guys. Facebook told me uh, it's your birthday, a dog's birthday. Did you f already forget? I'm trying to. Um, <laughs> definitely trying to. I don't make a big thing of uh, my birthday too much. Uh, I just look at it as uh, this is, I, 60, year 64 begins now. So I'm in my 64, 64th year. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? Uh, uh, 
Tina's Antifa, uh, and one hell of a dancer. He's a, he's the dancing Antifa. He's he's Antifa's dancing mascot. Uh, Dean doing the, the moonwalk. Uh, very cool stuff. We'll have we'll see tomorrow. Uh, even though he says he does not dance on demand. Uh, we'll get him to dance. We'll just keep playing the reggae. And we'll just keep making it louder and louder until he, he feels compelled. He feels the beat. He gets into it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to Dean about this uh, reggae dancing. Ooh, uh, cool in the gang. Song reggae dancing. Number one hit. Most pe- A lot of people don't remember it because I play it every once in a while. And people look at it like, I kind of remember that song, but I don't remember that song. Ooh, uh Reggae dancing. Let's go dancing. Reggae dancing. Ooh la la la. Um, calling the gang. I don't remember what year it was. Probably like 1980. Uh, oh, well, this is good news. Uh, Kevin says his dad died at 64. That's encouraging. I thought I was going to die at 54. So if I die at 64, um, I don't know what that means. Maybe I got that means they're off by 10 years. That's what it means. Uh, I guess it is, uh, William. Yesterday is my birthday. Uh, thank you for the birthday wishes. Again, I don't make a big deal of it. So my birthday party was last night. Uh, I took my grandson out crabbing again, second time. He's never been crabbing before last week. What is this? Carl should have had, uh, had us make videos singing. <laughs> no, I don't think Carl knows this is my birthday. It's like, um, and no, no, that you know what? Thank you all for, for whoever uh, participated in that uh, video that Carl put together. Very touching. Uh, the highlight, of course, is Steve, uh, who went through all the trouble to do the professional makeup artist and script the whole thing out. Uh, Cats was very entertaining, but Steve takes the cake. I have to say, Steve definitely takes the cake. Uh, so yeah, so last night I took the to uh the grandson um crabbing now. We're getting we're catching a lot, but they were all really small. We were taking them, you know, measuring. They have to be 4.5 inches in order to be a keeper and they can't be females with eggs. Caught a lot of those females with eggs. Uh but small ones. So the, almost everyone was a throw throw back. They look so huge when they're swimming in the water. You get them in the net, you pull them up, and they're like, nah, it's 4.2 inches, 4.1 inches, whatever. they got to be 4.5 at least at a minimum. And even at 4.5, they're not that big. Uh, but So I said to the dock master there last night, what's going, what's going on? Why, you know, everything's so small here? Is it just too late in the season? And his take on this, and of course the guy's not a... Uh, biologist or uh, environmental scientist in any way. You know, I think he's probably lucky to have graduated middle school, to be honest with you. Uh, but he said <laughs> his take on it is that they, they're just out there all day long. Uh, boats and people all day long, all night long, from the time the season begins in late June, uh, just scooping up every crab that's in the bay. And so what we're seeing is all that's left right now, which is really sad. I mean, because he said some, so many people are just violating the rules. They're taking the, the pregnant females. They're, they're taking the small ones. So they're raping 
debate, which is very selfish. It's very uh, not forward thinking, and definitely not uh, not a good way for uh, for the, you know humans to, to protect the environment so that there will be food sources for future generations. I don't want to get on this whole environmental kick, but uh, that part of it, very troubling to see, because usually this time of year, the last couple of weeks of blue crab season, the crabs are bigger, not smaller. You're not just getting, you know, next year's babies before they head down to the Carolinas to get big and strong. You're getting, you know, full-on... Adult crabs, and now that, that was not the case. So we came home empty-handed, but it was a fun night, and it, it was—it's a memory. I like—I like seeing my brother. I told my brother about it. He said, "Oh, you got a kid to go go crabbing with." He said, "Can I borrow him?" Uh, um, it does. It's great to see a ten-year-old experiencing new things and excited about it. Uh, and I guess that's what life life is all about. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> call man says, happy birthday, you round-headed bozo. I, I believe it's, uh, thank you, uh, but I believe it's uh, baritone bozo. I'm not really round-headed. I'm oval-headed, remember. Uh, good morning, call. Today, if you are uh, just joining me and don't know, Mark Masters from uh, Vail, Colorado, uh, will be joining me. Mark is a accomplished comedian. Uh, who hosts Vail Comedy once a month. And Vail Comedy uh, is a showcase that features some of the top comedians in America, in the world, on a monthly basis. And he hosts it. He's also the host of uh, um, a live streaming comedy showcase. I believe that's once a week. Um, And so that will be an interesting conversation. He'll be here uh, probably in about a half hour from now. Uh, so looking forward to that. Have not met Mark. I've uh, gotten some, gotten acquainted with him just by watching some stuff uh, he's done uh, online. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel uh, that we'll talk about. We'll talk about the Vail, Colorado thing. He's also He also books rooms in Colorado and uh, is a mover and shaker in the comedy business. Just putting that out there for people who are, hey, wait a minute, I I I want to, I want to play co- areas in Colorado. I want to play Vale. Vale's a great place to play. If you know any comedians, <coughs> I don't. It's not like I know any comedians. Footballs around whatever you guys use on Napo's shape. Um, that's not really true. There's no point on my head or on my chin. Uh, what we use for football, you know, footballs are not round. Uh, soccer balls are round. Uh, and butterflies are free. Um, but this is uh, Kevin's last day of freedom for a while. He's going to jail. Uh, we realized that uh, Kevin went down to Texas and was smoking uh, marijuana with, with Joe Rogan. And he will be doing time for that. Unfortunately, Joe Rogan isn't. Rogan's off free. He's got free because he's Joe Rogan. He can't get arrested. But Kevin will be going to jail. I think he's go, he'll be doing 10 years um, maximum security in Texas. 
which is kind of sad. And he's spending his last day of freedom in watching this show. My, my last day of freedom, I'm going to jail. I probably would find something better to do than, than to spend it with me anyway. Um, yeah. You're all ears, except for your fa- the rest of your face and your body. You're not all ears. Uh, I will be talking to you later on today, William, about uh, things we discussed, by the way, uh, about New York. New York. Back in the New York groove. Uh, the New York music scene, the New York comedy scene, the New York uh, scene of scenes. Uh, call, let's call it a scene. Scene cut. Uh, I'm going to play the um, my sponsor's uh, piece today. You know, who, who? guess who's back with us? You know, I haven't talked about this in a while, but today is very good coffee. Very, very good coffee. Uh, and it's the best coffee that I've had in probably two months because today I made Koa coffee. And Koa coffee, speaking of Hawaii, how did I not, how did I not segue into this earlier? Because I'm still half asleep, that's how. Speaking of Hawaii, uh, Koa Coffee is the pride of Hawaii. There's no spam. There's no spam included in Koa Coffee. It doesn't come canned. It comes whole bean. Uh, how does it come? It comes like, uh, uh, do I even have um, uh, something to show you about how it comes? It's just like really smoking hot beans in a bag. No, I don't. I thought I did. Anyway, Koa Coffee, uh, best coffee in America, according to Forbes magazine. Let's check them out. This episode is brought to you by Koa Coffee. If you are a coffee connoisseur and want to experience the best coffee Hawaii has to offer, no blends, no compromise, try the true taste of aloha. Koa Coffee produces premium Hawaiian coffee, hand-picked, expertly roasted, and delivered from Hawaii to your door with aloha. From award-winning 100% Kona coffee grown on the slopes of the Mauna Loa volcano to the unique mocha beans of Maui, they strive to provide their loyal customers with the best quality and freshness. Since 1997, Koa Coffee has been known far and wide as a product of utmost quality, and their awards prove it. Koa Coffee was featured in Forbes' Top 10 Coffees of the World. This is the coffee Forbes called the best coffee in America. Find out what it's all about. Go to minddogtv.com slash coffee. Maybe that commercial goes just a little too long, you think? Uh, I don't know. I kind of like having the girl run on, on the beach even though it's not saying anything about the brand. <laughs> Cold Coffee, get yours. You can go to mindog. Uh, mindogtv.com slash coffee. And there's a link right there. There's a link in the description. Get your cold coffee. It will help keep the show alive for another 200 episodes. Today is episode 201, uh, which I'm surprised we made it this far. Every day, I'll be honest with you, every day I wake up and think, I ought to quit. I ought to quit. I mean, what's the point of this? Where's it going? Why am I doing this? Uh, so it's a daily conversation I have to have. Eh, maybe we'll go one more week. 
we'll go one more week, see how it goes. Um, so I'm surprised we made it to 200 yesterday, and today's 201. We're on. Um, I'll be really shocked if I make it to 300. Not that. In the beginning, it was just about getting up. I hated getting up. It's a lot of work, and um. I love many of the guests that we've had on the morning program. And I love that the chat room is more interactive for the morning stuff. There are some really good things about it. But it's really difficult to book my A-list for for the morning show. Because everybody I approach about this stuff, and I have approached a lot of famous comedians, Names that you would know and have huge followings. Um, they just don't want to do it because it's too early for them. Uh, and but so I'm I'm caught between. Well, that's my that's my show that features comedians. It's the morning show, uh, and um, I comedians don't want to get up to do it, especially if they're on the west coast. Now maybe I should be trying to feature feature more people in the UK because it's midday for them. That's a possibility. I don't know a whole lot of UK comedians. Um, and the, the ones I do are more film-oriented than, like, stand-up-oriented, you know. And, you know, listen, Ricky Gervais is not going to do my podcast no matter how, <laughs> how much I bake him. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's a defeatist attitude, isn't it? I just caught myself being... Uh, Three times a week, and uh, uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, oh, Howard Stern was trending uh, last night, I think it was, and I could not figure out why. When I got home from Crab and I was looking at and Howard Stern was trending on Twitter, and there didn't seem to be any, uh, thank you for a happy 200s. I guess it's something to be happy about. Uh, I couldn't figure out for the life of me why Howard was trending last night. It's, it's always a mystery how they decide this thing. People just decide to talk about people, but for no consistent reason. Like one person had this to say about Howard Stern, and this somebody had this to say about Howard Stern. One thing, no consistent reason why people are trending, which is kind of weird um, how that happens all at once. You try to look for it. what triggers us as a society to be all on the same subject and generally you can understand it when it's like civil war which was trending this morning in politics because that's what we're talking about in the united states uh oddly enough we're talking about civil war and we're not not because ken burns did a documentary um but because uh, various political factions are bringing up the uh prospect of rioting in the streets uh, and violence if that guy gets um, arrested or indicted, uh, which is just, you know, it is what, but so you can understand why why Civil War was trending. I can't understand why Howard Stern was trending because there was no, it's not like he came out and did anything, said anything uh, specifically. Just people decided for different reasons to talk about Howard Stern. Um very, very odd stuff. Uh, let's see what else is going on. Louis Gomez, Louis J. Gomez, following him on Twitter. Interesting, interesting little 
Twitter spat he got himself uh, into. Well, it was a mass shooting two days ago. Uh, Mike Zinn. Good morning, Mike Zinn. Um, uh, in Oregon, I believe it was. Uh, uh, where was it? Oh, Luis J. Gomez. I almost lost this. Now, see, this this is the clinical uh, memory loss stuff that needs to be looked at because I almost lost Luis J. Gomez in that fast. But Louis, a couple of days ago, it might have been yesterday, Luis J. Gomez in a Twitter spat about corporal punishment for children. Hitting your kid, slapping your kid, spanking your kid. And I got to say this. I agree with uh, everything that Louis J. J. Gomez was talking about because he's calling it child abuse. Telling somebody who spanks their kid that, you know, what it is is just losing control. If you can't out-reason a nine-year-old, if you can't... uh, control a nine-year-old with intellect rather than violence, you're losing control. And he was trying to make this argument to somebody and, and calling corporal punishment for children child abuse. Now, understand, good morning, Christina. Thank you uh, for the happy birthday. Um, understand this. Now, people like me from my generation and my father only slapped me once. <laughs> he slapped me because I was suspended from school in sixth grade for distributing alcohol. I was also drinking it, but I was—I got suspended because I got dis- caught distributing it to my friends who got caught drinking it and ratted me out. But So I got suspended for distributing alcohol in sixth grade. And my father slapped me upon uh, me getting home from school that day uh, because it was his booze. <laughs> I was stealing it from him. I'm thinking, well, he was really disappointed in me too. But uh, so I got uh, I got slapped just that once. Now I have to say, at the time, it was pretty fucking traumatic for me. Uh, just it wasn't that it hurt that bad it was just uh the shock of it and feeling like you know what that's the punishment but it wasn't a tough slap but i got over it and so people from my age i guess this is where i'm trying to go with this came up with accepting that and it was an accepted general form of parenting most people believed in spankings and so if you grew up in that and somebody like Louis J. Gomez is calling a child abuse, then he's calling your parents a, a, a child abuser, which is not necessarily accurate or helpful to the discussion. Time change, attitudes change, people evolve, we get smarter, we learn new things. It wasn't widely studied as a form of abuse. It was generally thought that this it was a good way to to in, administer discipline into children at the time. And so if that is the cultural belief, it's hard to label that as abuse 
it because the people doing it don't think they're doing it for abuse. They think they're doing it, and this is true. A lot of them. It wasn't about losing the temper. They're all now. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, soften that with. In some cases, it was just people just playing out losing their temper. A lot of fathers, you know, the belt buckle thing. Uh, there were times when fathers just lost their temper. Mothers too. Mothers would throw sh- shit at you, you know, that kind of stuff. But um, they weren't thinking that it was a form of abuse. They were thinking that that's a proper way to teach a child discipline. So the argument going back and forth was Lewis J. Gomez saying everything that right about how it feels from the child's perspective and what we've learned about the psychology of uh, spankings and all that stuff and how it, it isn't effective. And the best way to teach children is really through being smarter. Uh, we So we've learned that. But he was making that case, but doing it so poorly by just insulting this woman, calling her a piece of shit and saying, uh, you know, you, you, you're the kind of piece of shit who believes in child abuse. Not a helpful way and definitely not a way to use your influence to get people on your side when you're making a case like that. And this went on for a day, a good day, back and forth with Luis J. Gomez and some unknown woman who was talking about spanking her child. And it was just so interesting to watch the conversation because here I am agreeing with every point Louis J. is uh, making, but could see right through the, the fact that this is going nowhere. This woman is never going to hear what he's saying because he's just insulting her at every, with every good point he makes. He undoes it by just calling her a total piece of shit and just dismissing um, what she grew up with, what she believes, uh, and why she doesn't, why she has not got on board with the whole idea of not hitting children. So, you know, sometimes Twitter, beyond entertainment, if you're looking at it objectively, you can learn and learn not only about things like not a, not using corporal punishment to teach children, but you can also learn a little bit about influencing and human dynamics and how to hold a conversation with somebody without it being a complete waste of fucking time. Where And... Listen, I'm not saying I have not been guilty of it, but and I have absolutely been guilty of it. But to see it in front of you and watch it play out in those kind of terms, uh, eye opening. It's eye opening. You know, if you don't follow him already, I would you know just go back and uh, look at that. Uh, good morning, cat. Good to see you waking up. It's only. Um, it's only 9.47 a.m. It's like 12 hours before your wake-up time, right? Uh, are we having a song this week, Kat? Uh, are you, you going to do a song? Are you taking requests? Because I got a, I got a song for you. I, I don't, my equipment is not here, which I told the story before. Uh, it's not a story. Uh, I, yesterday, I brought my equipment out to do play a gig. And uh, 
my my equipment that would have my acoustic guitar hooked up through this system here. I uh, went out to play a gig at the VA only to find out uh, it's tomorrow. I went, I drove all the way there, set the whole thing up. So I don't have my guitar here, but I would uh, have a song uh, request for you. Uh, thinking of going through stuff last night, like this would be a good song to hear Cat do her weekly thing. I came up with, um, uh, I don't know the name of it. I'm gonna. It's Mary Tyler Moore's music uh, theme from her, <laughs> who can turn the world on with a smile. You know that one. Uh, who can take a nothing day and suddenly make it all seem worthwhile? Well, it's you, girl. I'm gonna sing it to Dean tomorrow. I want to sing it to Dean tomorrow in a reggae style and see if I can get him up and dancing. Uh, you girl, and you should know it. What a. You're going to make it after all. I don't know if that's the, the name of the song. I don't know the, the name of the song. You never know. the. I, I rarely know the name of songs of um, um, television themes. And, and I play a lot of television themes, but I just call it the theme from that show. I don't really know what the actual name of the song is. Uh, William Conway on spanking. Uh, now, don't, get, don't confuse spanking with spanking. That's all I'm just saying. There's the spanking a kid and then spanking your wife when she asks for it. And I don't mean ask for it by being mischievous. I mean, literally ask for it. Please spank me. Uh, we, <laughs> I think I spanked my son maybe five times when he was younger, only when he had done something super dangerous. Well, Louis J. Gomez would have nothing but just, uh, just scorn for you and putting you down. Uh, Cat uh, says she she likes theme because they're short and easier to learn. Um, yeah, we do a welcome back a lot. That that goes over well. Uh, Mikey and I do uh, welcome back from welcome back. Cotter, what else do we do? Um, Chico and the Man, uh, Freddie Prince. Um, some, I guess we're stuck in the seventies, aren't we? I do. I used to do the Sanford uh, thing. Now Sanford. Uh, requires some really good two harmonicas, a bass harmonica and a, a regular harmonica, uh, regular blues harp. Uh, that's a tough one to do, uh, to do right if you don't have both of those things. Um, now, uh Kevin is saying, yeah, Lewis will get uh, in a fight on the street while his kids, with his kids with him. Really, I did not know that. Um, but that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other issue. And, yeah, yeah, listen, we're all hypocrites in a lot of ways. We are a lot. I mean, if you analyze somebody's life. And I'm not saying um, Lewis... Jay Gomez is any moral compass in any way or uh, here to teach his psychology. I was just saying I was agreeing with the points that he was making about uh, not hitting your kid with this woman. But the way he was making it was you could see, again, if you step back, you can see how futile the argument is because even though he's making correct points and you agree with him on on the, the points he's making, you can see how it's not going to sell because if I call you an asshole and a dipshit and uh, a piece of shit and a useless mother or whatever, 
you're not going to hear the reasons that I'm saying why why hitting your child uh, is probably not the most um, effective way to teach him or least abusive way to teach him about discipline. You're not going to hear that. All you can hear is that this guy calling you, you and your entire generation and your parents' generation evil, ugly people. That's all you hear. You don't get the message. uh, Kevin come back with he was uh, neglected and probably abused as a kid so I get why he was so viscerally reacting to it he has trauma and he hasn't dealt with it still uh, possibly it's really hard to be a, a uh, psychologist at a distance for people I, I'm guilty of that all the time and this is why some people are afraid <laughs> That's my buddy it this way. Some people are actually afraid to talk to me. Some people, and they've expressed this. Not, they didn't say they were afraid. They were nervous about talking to me because on the evening program, I do get serious enough and introspective, ask them to get introspective enough and probe the psychology of my guests sometimes like and in a, in a way that sometimes can feel like what are you doing therapy on me i think we we did a little bit of uh, fun with zin on the uh, partisan the other day with that but i do have a tendency to do that and kind of and so i i don't know if i would kind of ju- just jump to that conclusion that um maybe he's got trauma that was uh, unresolved about that stuff he did seem to be making jokes about it and all that stuff who's uh, his grandma called him the N work, N work, N word. Uh, yeah, well, that's different than getting hit, isn't it? And he's not even black, is he? Um, you know what? A lot of people in my neighborhood use that word for people who weren't black all the time. It's it's, it's kind of weird. Want to make Lewis look bad? Have a football throwing competition with him? Really? He doesn't throw a football well. Uh, I don't know about this stuff. You guys follow him closer than I do, I guess. Uh, Have him uh, hit a little league pitch. Really? I thought he was kind of an athlete. Isn't he like a black belt or something? I don't know this. I don't really follow the guy that close. And to be honest with you, uh, that was as close as I've ever followed him was just this thing on Twitter the other day. So uh, if you're saying he's a, he's a rotten athlete, that's kind of surprising to me. Um, because you would think, and again, I'm, maybe I'm wrong about this, I, but I thought he was a jujitsu guy. You would think that takes some athleticism, you would think. Uh, but not necessarily. There are people who get into martial arts who are not naturally athletic but once you start i don't know practicing the discipline of the art you got to become more um, more athletic in some way more athletically inclined what is the insane about nancy nancy sinatra uh, i thought some velvet morning or, or summer wine by nancy sinatra and lee hazelwood uh, you know what i had never heard some velvet morning before craig brought it up and to me It sounds like two different songs, two different parts of songs, really small segments of songs. 
that were put together and just repeated three times to make a song. I mean, you got him singing this really odd thing in one key for a short segment, and then she comes in and sings in a completely different key, a different medley for another segment, another really short segment, and then they just put those two segments together and looped them three times, and that became a song. And I never heard the song before, and I'm pretty... Listen, I, I communicate with Nancy Sinatra. I've asked her to be on the, the evening program three times now. Uh, so I'm a fan of hers is what I basically I'm getting at. And I never heard that song. Um, and I, I don't think it was necessarily a song. I think it was a desperate attempt to put two little segments of songs together. That happened a lot in the 60s. Uh, the, the Bee Gees talked about that. Some of their biggest hits were just ideas like, oh, we got this idea over here. We got Why don't we just put them together and then loop it, like do it three times in a row, and you got, got a song, make a hit out of it. Um, as I mentioned, we do Nancy Sinatra with the band, with the Rockin' 45. We do it with Mikey singing Nancy Sinatra stuff. We do a medley of These Boots Are Made For Walking into Lord Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love, where Mikey sings the Nancy Sinatra parts and Kiera, originally Janet, Saying uh, the whole lot of love part, uh, we do, you know, so we do some of that stuff. Saying something stupid, saying something stupid. Uh, Frank Sinatra and Nancy Sinatra uh, duets. Fan of Nancy Sinatra. Uh, I don't think she was like all that hot, like some people said the other day when that song came up. But I had never heard that song. Anyway. I, I'm going to put this out there really quickly before my guest gets here. Uh, it's a story I think I've told on a podcast, or maybe two, or maybe seven, or maybe a hundred. Who knows? But uh, putting it out there really as quickly as I can for Tom Kanapka, who last night was uh, watching The Great Escape, and I, he, had, he listed some of the people on there, and James Coburn was one of them. I said, did I ever tell you my James Cob- Coburn story? He said, no, I alluded to it, but I never told the story. So I ha- I'm certain I've told the story, but I'm going to do it as quickly as I can for Tom's benefit, and I'll point out to him that somewhere around the hour mark in this program, you can hear it. Um, 1997, Rick James, Tina Marie, uh, playing the House of Blues in uh, Sunset Strip in L.A., and I was there as a guest of the head of security. Uh, and so we, we watched the show, and then after the show, we were up in the VIP lounge, uh, All a lot of celebrities up there. And uh, Dan Aykroyd was there, and there were uh, several people who were famous. And I was there with, with the people from the cult, uh, the Barbara Brennan School of Healing. <laughs> we were there. I brought some of them there. And uh, one of the guys who worked for me, this guy Frank, was with me. And I, I was standing there, like, feeling out of place because in a room full of celebrities, I often feel out of place. And Frank says to me, don't look now, but in like Flint wants to have a word with you. And I looked over, and James Coburn is standing next to me. And he's taller than me, and he's kind of looking down at me. He's looking a little, like, angry. Like, I'm not saying hello. He's angry that I'm not saying hello to him. 
and I'm feeling uncomfortable now. Like James Coburn is mad at me for some reason, and I have no. I kind of turned away for a second. He goes, and Frank says, uh, "No, he, he he wants to talk to you." I looked over at him, and he's still got this like scowl on his face. So, I, uh, how's it going, Jim? What's up? He goes, "I'm here. I'm bringing a bringing a, a screenplay back to the bartending. Everybody's got a film." Uh, oh, that's interesting. He goes. What about you? You you doing anything? Just hanging out after the show. <laughs> James Coburn talking to me as if he knows me. And Frank says, Frank, he comes over and he whispers at me. He goes, he thinks you're Bruce Willis. I don't look like Bruce Willis. No, trust me. He thinks you're Bruce Willis. Uh, I was like, no, there's no way he th- he's not that. He's not fucking crazy. <laughs> He said, no, believe me, he thinks he's Bruce Willis. So uh, he's talking to me for a while, conversation going on, and somebody comes over and says, uh, hey, Mr. Colbert, can I can I get a picture with you? Uh, I'm here talking to my friend. And he blows him off. And uh, we ended the conversation, and I was like, that was really weird. And Frank's telling me, no, I swear, I'm telling you, he thought you were Bruce Willis, that whole conversation. I was like, where are you getting this from? Um. So we were out on the deck, uh, 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 the House of Blues, the outside deck for the VIP room, and Coburn decides he's going to sneak out the back, so he, you know, and go down that way. And as he's leaving, guy comes up to him and goes, "Mr. Coburn, please, just one picture." And Coburn turns around, and he looks at me, and goes, "Hey, Bruce, take a picture with this guy, will you?" <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, some people thought I looked like Bruce Willis. At the, I don't know if I had the mustache, to be honest with you, at the time. But I definitely, if I didn't have the mustache, though, I had the mole. I wasn't wearing the glasses. But still, even without the glasses, without the mustache, you don't see Bruce Willis. Um, anyway, the very next night, Howard Stern was having a premiere uh, party for uh, Private Parts, the movie at billboard on sunset and we got invited to that we we had some connections out there that were inviting us to all these shows and so slash had an all-star band that was playing this party for howard stern after party for his uh, movie premiere of uh, private parts and i walked into the room at billboard and slash yells from the stage hey bruce did you bring a harp with you (laughs) They were about to do a blues song, and I guess, uh, and so all I said was, I'm not Bruce, and it got the biggest laugh of anything I've ever done in my life, I, and, and I wasn't trying to be funny, obviously, I just, I'm not Bruce, and the whole room erupted in laughter, like, uh, like the best uh, stand-up bit I've ever done was just uh, three little words, I'm not Bruce. Speaking of stand-up, it's time to move on. So I, I that's out there for Tom Kanapka, who uh, I have not told that story to. Um, speaking of stand-up, my guest today, uh, Mark Meadows, is Colorado's second cleanest comedian, which means he has good hygiene, but what does that say about his comedy? Uh, he's a comedy club headliner and uh, dive bar open micer. He is the host of Vail Comedy, which features some of the best comedians in the world. He's an internet host of, uh, uh, I believe, weekly comedy showcase online, and he's here now. Uh, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Mark Masters to Coffee with the Dog. Mark, welcome. 
Hey, good morning. How are you doing? You I hear do. me okay? How's the sound? Yeah, it sounds good. Sounds like radio. Awesome. <laughs> How you doing? AM or FM? Um, FM. FM. All right. High quality. All right. Yeah. Except I'm ne- I was never an FM guy. Uh, that's a whole other story. They kicked, just as I was uh, uh, getting to the height of my radio career, the, uh, we used to be an AM FM station on both AM and FM. And they'd split apart and said, no, you're going to be on the AM side and FM's coming here. And they left me on AM all by myself. It was huh. really a traumatic experience. Anyway, it's good to have you here. Yeah. Uh, Second cleanest comedy uh, com- comedian in Colorado. Who's the first? Well, you have to come see me on stage. I got a bit about that, but uh, let's just say it's it's clean with fun. You come okay. out and see me, you're going to have some laughs. You're going to have a good time, but it's also okay to have your your parents or grandparents or your boss around. All right. Well, does that mean I can't goad you into doing anything slightly dirty? No, or... you can do whatever you want. <laughs> do whatever the f you want. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, your so show, man. I, I know i know i want to hear i just want I, I don't know why but i feel compelled i do swear people always like open mic comics are in denver always asking me like do you ever swear mark because they never see me swear on stage and i'm like yeah around women and small children like frustrating <laughs> experiences i'll swear but All just right. not on stage are you married i'm not i'm uh, not is that a, a, is that an essential to to be successful in comedy <laughs> uh it doesn't hurt. I, I have a great partner, real uh, supporter, which is which is helpful. I mean, I think I think it's it's hard. I, I, I work with a lot of comedians that are married, have kids. You know, it's it's when you have uh, comedies, it's a tough, solitary pursuit. Sometimes you're on your own quite a bit. So it's nice to have have a rock somewhere else. But it, it's also, you know, it, it distracts. And, you know, there are people out there grinding hitting shows and mics seven eight days a week and uh the 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 ones who don't have any distractions seem to uh i don't know they kind of do better but on the other hand like life experience is such an important part of stand-up comedy you know people who talk about their kids on stage are hilarious they have great stories and that's true. So I and I think though and it's an interesting kind of conversation for me is that comedians the the especially trying to make a comedian if you're not you know you're not a headline a well-known national name it's, it can be an it's the loneliest um uh, pursuit in in entertainment or in the arts at, uh, completely i mean you're out there so sometimes you know artists are in alone in a studio but they're not on the road with one hour of work to do and 23 hours of lonely time to fill and i think that that plays into uh, a very hard way to make life work with other people, other people who are miles away or at a distance and all that kind of stuff. It's a really difficult life to live. Yeah. I imagine technology has made it a lot easier. I can't imagine doing this like 30 years ago. You know, you got video chat now and it's easy to make a phone call. You know, you don't have to go find a phone booth uh, to call a loved one. So do you do a lot of traveling or you just stay close to home yeah yeah i sure do uh I, tr- I try and get out on the road like about once a month to keep myself sane uh so i'm not always on the road because because i kind of i beat myself up when i'm out there I'm, I'm trying to save money and uh you know sleeping in my car sometimes and uh, uh. <laughs> so <laughs> really uh, yeah Still? i get out there i just did a trip to california which was a lot of fun 
Yeah, uh, sleep, I can't, I mean, I did that when I was extremely young. I mean, 20, 20. It's not that bad. I, I, it, now, when people think he's sleeping in his car, they might think I'm, like, in the driver's seat, just, like, my neck cricked, whatever. I have, like, a, a platform and a small bed. I have a station wagon, and I, I put the passenger seat all the way up, and I, I've improved it over the years. You know, the station very first time wagon. I slept in my car, I actually slept in, like, the trunk of the station wagon. It was the most <laughs> uncomfortable. It was awful. Yeah. Uh, but then, then I added like a, like a yoga mat underneath me. And then I increased that by putting a, a, a small mattress, like a single, uh, or maybe it's a twin mattress over the yoga mat. And then I added a platform, like a nice, because the problem then was, uh, I, it's not completely flat in the back of your car for like six feet where the, where the car seat goes down, it's at an incline. So you're now like sleeping in like a V shape. Uh, so then I then I made a, a plywood platform to to level things out, and then you got the yoga mat, and then you got the mattress, and I got sheets. What a what a what a improvement that was! And I got a blanket for the winter, and I got a I got a freezing uh, sub zero temperature sleeping bag for when it's freezing cold out. But I, I have a new rule now that if it's below freezing, I I get a motel. I I just like I. When, when you wake up, the wor- anybody out there who slept in their car overnight in the freezing cold, the worst part about it is chiseling ice off the inside of your windshield. Yeah. I had no idea that was going to be a thing. So now I have like a miniature chisel because you can't get that big like four foot. It's, it's hard to operate inside the car. I am so impatient with that. I'm the kind of guy who will just chisel out a little hole that I could see and then try to <laughs> yeah. drive that way. I got pulled over <laughs> once for driving an unsafe vehicle because I hadn't scraped yeah. enough. There's a lot of snow. That was up in the Aspen area. Uh, but I had to do like a two minute drive. And I was like, I can do this without even looking. I know exactly where I'm going. Right. And I chiseled off the bare minimum, and I got pulled over. But yeah, luckily no ticket. Pretty nice police out there. Yeah, I remember because, uh, and I I hear what you said. Station wagon though kind of surprised me. I I don't think I've seen a station wagon in many years. Uh, you see, you, you have it's a it's a Subaru Outback. Yeah, okay, so yeah, they're yeah, they're yeah. around. Where do you you're out in L.A.? Is that where you are? No, I'm in Shoreham, Long Island, New York. Oh, okay. All right. I'm, Maybe you don't have. Yeah, you guys get snow. You probably have outbacks out there, oh, Subarus. Yeah, I'm certain we do. But I, when I think of the word, I don't think of. Okay, yeah, you're thinking of like mind. Chevy Chase. Yeah. And, uh, family vacation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like station wagon. That's what that is. Uh, I was like, wow, I don't think I've seen one of those. Get the Hatchback. kids in the back and let's go on vacation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm in a place which is, it's very rural people here in New York and they think, wow, you're in New York. No, I am. I am so far removed from New York city. I am in green acres, uh, where I am. It's like completely rural and, uh, far removed from all that stuff. So there's not a lot of comedy here. Um, and the comedy scene, people ask me about the comedy scene in New York and it's like, I could be wrong because I don't get to Manhattan or, or a lot, but I know Long Island and it's been becoming monopolized. Uh, and like the same thing happened with music clubs around for a while back is where one owner decided this is I'm going to take over this. I don't want any competition and buying all and governors comedy clubs. We're on governors this morning. Governors is the three comedy clubs on Long Island right now. Do you have that? Is that in Colorado? Is that going on? Like, you see, yes, multiple clubs. Is that Mul- yeah, multiple clubs by yeah. one owner? 
Uh, not with one. Well, Comedy Works has two locations. They have the downtown location and the uh, south location, which is uh, a little larger space. Uh, so they get some bigger names there. It's a little more theater style. Uh, so, so they own two clubs. So then you got the Improv, and then in Colorado Springs, you got Looney's and Three E's, and that's about an hour drive away. And south, and then north, uh, about an hour drive away, you got the Fort Comedy Club. So we we have a decent. It's a good amount of. I think it's there's great opportunity for stage time in Colorado. Right. And you are also involved in the business end of it somewhat because you you're booking for the veil thing, right? And uh, yeah, what what is that? What do you learn as a comedian once you once you you know you change hats and now you're kind of on the business end side of it oh. for other comedians? Does it change your perspective at all? Oh yeah, it really it really emphasizes like people kind of know this intuitively not to be an a hole and to be <laughs> like a good decent person, but man, it makes such a difference when there's just, there's so much great comedy out there. And, you know, I, I can book about 10 headliners a year for the Vale comedy show. It's a monthly show. And there are hundreds of comedians that I would love to get in that spot. Right. So like, how do you differentiate at that point? And people who are cool and nice, they, they kind of float to the top or, or a better way of saying it is if, if you're a jerk, you're definitely going to the bottom of the list. Right. <laughs> uh, so just, you know, be reliable, show up on time a little bit early, communicate well. Uh, those those things help. I mean, obviously be funny, but then once you hit the funny mark, you, you have to differentiate yourself somehow. And I think just being nice and cool is a... Right. Is a, do you, now, do you book people who are not clean comics? Uh, oh, also? yeah. All the yeah. time. Filthy. Our next comic, September 15th, <laughs> BailComedyShow.com is Steph Tolov. She is <laughs> dirty as hell. She's filthy. Uh, she she's, she opens for Bill Burr. She was just on the Netflix special. Bill Burr presents Friends Who Kill. Uh, she just she just performed for 20,000 people this wow. week, last week uh, in Toronto at the uh, M, uh, NHL and NBA arena in Toronto, Canada. 20,000 people and she's going to be doing my little 100 person bar show have you um, ever done anything like that because that's not a comedy venue you're there for sports fans doing comedy oh, i've done some weird venues man let me tell like, you like uh, in terms of size the biggest i've ever done is a 750 person theater so i can't even imagine 20,000 that would be so fun i mean just the the volume of laughter I, i've been in a 300 person room before where it felt like the laughter was going to like push me backwards. If right. I, I don't know if that was like an illusion, but I really felt like waves of laughter. Energy. Me I chat. get it. it was, yeah. No, I've, I've, you know, I've been lucky enough to been on some stages where I had like massive crowds. Like they weren't there to see me, believe me. Yeah. But, uh, but I've massive. done a bowling alley. I've done all kinds of weird venues, tea but shop, the sporting events thing like you're playing for fans that people that aren't necessarily comedy fans in any way that's just gotta no be a... yeah they're out there no they're buying a ticket to see comedy so oh, it's not okay. like that it's not like halftime at an nba show oh i thought it was they they she was at a nba uh... no it's just in an <laughs> arena it's a comedy show for bill burr that sold out Twenty thousand people oh, okay. paid good money to to see comedy and she's She's 
performing on stage. It's, wow. I can't wait to hear about it. I can't wait to talk to her about it in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that sounds, sounds interesting. You know, I had Steve Byrne on the program. We talked about him opening at Red Rocks for Kanye, ah. at, for Kanye West. Now, that is a very difficult thing to do because they're there to see Kanye and yeah. not there to see comedy in any way. Yeah, that seems less common these days. I'm reading a book right now. Uh, called Mock Stars, and it, it was published in 2008, and it's about the rise of independent comedy. And uh, it talks a lot about uh, some comics that toured with bands. Like, that used to be a real common thing in the 90s. Yeah. They would just, you know, put in a, instead of having three bands on a lineup, they'd have a band and a comic, and it was cheaper for the tour for the headlining band to just bring a comic with them. Uh, and in the book, it, it makes it sound like the fans loved it, but I, I get the impression that that would be a very difficult gig. Well, I have a friend who toured with uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. He's been on the program a couple of times, and he was talking about how it was rough at the uh, beginning. Graham Nash had to come out and like lecture the the audience to be open and, and accepting of this and just go with it and appreciate the art for what it is. He said after yeah. Graham did that a couple of times, audiences started to warm up to it. But it's nice. a, yeah, it's a yeah weird. they call that ambush comedy when the audience <laughs> yeah. isn't expecting it. And it, yeah. it's hard on everybody. It's not good for the audience. It's not good for the comedians. I've definitely right. been in that situation. I was at a car show once outdoors doing comedy and really nobody cared. Right. <laughs> Uh, tell me about Vail. What? Because uh, I think of Vail, and I I was there once again with a cult. <laughs> huh. uh, but and so naturally, the the exposure that I had to Vail was very new age. I'm talking. I was there in the '90s, and it was with a new age uh, healing. I'll call him. A cult. Well, it did wonders for your hair growth. I, I can know. see that. Well, I, I was bald then. Uh, but I've been bald a long, long time. Um, but uh, the the idea that I got it was a very I don't know hippie. It made me I, that's a outdated word, but very I don't know liberal arts uh, artsy type of community. I don't is, know, man. Veils, veils. Uh, it's at least it's changed maybe because uh, it, it skews wealthy, uh, probably a little more Republican conservative just because of the money. Uh, although there are a, a good amount of liberal folks there, it's a fancy ski resort town. Right, uh, with, a lot of tourists. With, what's that? A lot of tourists. Tourism. Uh, a lot of tourists. They call them guests in Vail. They don't like the word tourists for some reason. Guests. A lot of guests in Vail. <laughs> I think when you spend like a thousand bucks a day, you get elevated from tourists. Oh, I get it. To yeah. <laughs> uh, don't call a, me a tourist. It's an expensive call. place to visit. A lot of great working locals as well. Um, this is a really good community. It's a, it's a really nice place and just stunningly beautiful all at all times of the year. Uh, right now it's, you know, it's the summer season. It's, it's green. Uh, you know, you, you might see a, a deer just walking by around dinner or a moose amble by. And then uh, pretty soon the leaves are going to start changing on the aspen trees and it's gonna be gorgeous. And there's just gonna be like a field of yellow leaves and on any hike you go on. And then it will start snowing, which is magical. And it's just, it's a really pretty place. It's cool. That, that does sound really nice. Now, I always had a, my problem in, in Colorado in general was altitude messed with oh, me so bad. Are you, are, are you born, born and raised in Colorado? No, I grew up on the East Coast, but I've been out here about 25 years. So I'm definitely acclimated. And uh, how long did it take it, you? Uh, oh, a couple, 
a, a couple weeks, but I used, I don't know, because for the first couple of years I was here, I, I lived in Denver and I would go up to the mountains, which can be 3000 vertical feet higher, right. uh, just driving from Denver to like Vales, 8,150 feet. And if you go to the top of the mountain, it's, you know, 10,000 plus, I believe. Uh, so that's like doubling the altitude. And I remember I used to have trouble when I'd go skiing, I, I would just, I'd get lightheaded and, and not feel great. Um, so I don't know what that was about, but it generally takes a couple of weeks. You just, when the comics come out, you just tell them, drink a lot of water. When we did the festival, there was a lot of drinking and people were there for three days. And it's just like, take it easy on the first night. It's like Las Vegas, you know, just, just take it easy on the first night. So you don't spoil the rest of the trip. The beers hit harder at high altitude and yeah, that is definitely true, and that's that's where I was going with this. Because if I'm a road comic and I'm used to, you know, I'm I'm traveling around the country, and then I'm in this high altitude place, that can mess up my show a, a lot. Like if I'm not careful and and don't prepare for it, so I would think sometimes if you're gonna play any place, if you're gonna play Vale, you should get there like three days early, four days early, and try to get used to it before. It's, it's too expensive to do that, man. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> go in and go out. It's funny how you know a lot of comics. They're, they're like me on the video right now. They just stand in their position, they're in the pocket, and they just deliver their jokes. But there are others who are like really animated and act out and running around. And when they're when they're up there, you know, usually about 10, 15 minutes into the set, they're like holy cow, it's different up here. I need a second to catch my breath. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been there, and I've, I've, I've experienced that. Like, wow, I'm not usually short of breath. Is it me? Am I dying? What's going on? Am I having a heart attack and don't know it? Uh, it's one of those scary. It can be a little scary if you're not used to it, especially the very first time you're out there. Um, tell me about what you do uh, now, because you, I got your YouTube channel going across the bottom there and your website. Ma yeah, Mark thanks. Masters. I got uh, markmasters.co. Yeah, uh, couldn't afford the dot com. Pretty common. Uh, it's I CO, thought that like was Colorado. a Canadian thing, right? Or dot co was I thought it's, was Canadian. It, no. It's co like Colorado. I think it right. stands for company. I'm not oh, sure, okay. uh, but it's also co like cholera. If you're not very good at spelling, <laughs> or co for COVID. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, um, but uh, so with, with the online stuff now on your YouTube channel, the very first playlist you have looks. And I'm not saying I I don't want this to sound like I'm I'm insinuating anything, but it looks like comedians in cars without the coffee. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, before the pandemic, when I was when I was getting started in comedy, one of the things I would do is I'd grab a comic and we'd go on like an hour long drive to a faraway open mic, and along the way we'd talk about comedy and how they got into comedy. And at the time, I was a sponge. I was just trying to soak up as much knowledge and information as possible. And then we go to the mic and then, you know, on the way to the mic, we talk about what our plan was at the mic. And then after the mic, we talk about how it went. And then I decided, Hey, you know, I should probably stick a camera in the car and record these. And it's, it's like free content basically. Yeah, so I did fun. a whole series, whole episode, whole series of episodes. Uh, and towards the end, I got some kind of more famous headliners going on, but most of it's just, you know, open mic comics, doing open mic comedy there are some fun episodes in there right um yeah it, it, it but that's not the focus of your youtube channel now even though that's the top uh list right you're doing other things on the youtube channel tell me about what what you what your goal yeah are. sure I, I have other content on the youtube channel i have a lot of stuff that's uh 
that's uh, related to the Vale Comedy Show. I, after the shows, I usually, you know, I don't, it, when you go to a good comedy show, and, and we're lucky, the Vale Comedy Show, after a lot of hard work, is a good show. We're in a great venue with, with low ceilings and, and tightly packed people. It's super dark, you know, good lighting, good sound. And we, and we fly in comics from New York and L.A. And we put on a great show and we keep it short, you know, like oh, never over an hour and a half show so the audience doesn't get tired and, and when the show's over they're sad you know they want more and so i usually videotape audience members and just say like hey what do you think of the show and they're just effusive you know you can see the glow in their face uh and they're just so excited about the show and so i make little compilation videos of people on stage and uh the audience talking about the show kind of promos for veil comedy show and then i have i have some other uh unlisted content some private stuff that uh, I, I give out to my Fakreon subscribers. What's Fakreon? Great question. So glad you asked. Uh, you probably <laughs> heard of Patreon, which, which is a way that uh, subscribers pay artists to, uh, you know, for, for exclusive content, et cetera, and support them. Uh, I didn't want to do Patreon, uh, but I set up my own Fakreon, which is very, like, uh, hand-rolled, uh, organic. Uh, it's just a, a couple dollars a month. People send it to me manually by Venmo and I have them in a little spreadsheet and an email campaign thing. And I send them videos from the road, just stories, funny things that are going on. And uh, so Good if anybody out there is but, interested. Uh, I have to ask why, 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 because Patreon's pretty simple and I don't think they take a whole lot. What they, they take, they take enough. And, and I want a more personal connection with the, yeah. with the, I, I don't want random strain, complete strangers uh in this community uh because i'm being pretty personal in this stuff uh so generally it's somebody i've shook their hand at a, at a show or they've been part of an online experience with me or they know me personally uh, already uh that that's kind of describes the subscribers i mean eventually maybe i'll get big enough and, and migrate it to patreon but for that's now if anybody watching is interested it's just a couple dollars a month and if you go to that website markmasters.co there's a uh a form you can fill out to con a contact form and i respond to every message that i get at this point very cool i appreciate that and that, that uh, i did want to come back to uh something you you just said about uh keeping the show short and i will come back to that i'm just putting that out there in case my memory loss kicks okay, in i'll I, remind I, you <laughs> yeah um uh, but uh community building and i think something about uh stand-up comedy uh encourages people or or makes people want to bring comedians into their life or have more of a personal connection with the comedian it's different you know i'm sure there are rock stars that have groupies and stuff like that but it's different than groupies it's it's like it's all it's a, a sincere friendship thing now sometimes you know people might um might be a little more committed to the friendship than you are as the artist the comedian but you, you I think the genuine uh, feeling is more uh, not that groupie-ishness, but it's, it's like, I'm really, I really appreciate you. I, I, I'd like to have more of you in my life because you made me laugh. And I, laughter is a, such a valuable commodity to all of us, especially at crazy times that we live in. But something about being a stand-up comedy encourages that I want to be your friend more as much as your fan type of thing. And that's, that's an interesting dynamic that you don't see 
uh, in a lot of yeah, other... I think you're totally right. I think the reason, one of the reasons for that is that stand-up comedians, good stand-up comedians, are very personal on stage. They tell you a lot about their life, and so when you're, if it's a good show and you're in the audience, you feel like they're your friend. Right. You know, that's why that's what makes comedy work. You know, sometimes a, a lot of being on stage is charisma. Maybe that's not the right word, but it's like a relationship you have with the audience. And if they like you, they're going to laugh, you know, and if they don't like you, trust me, they are not going to laugh. Right. OK, I've been, I've been to some oil towns and some I won't name the states uh, and just came across as some liberal uh, big city kid. And I couldn't get a laugh to save my life. Uh, right. So that same dynamic, though. Does, that doesn't, um, maybe I'm wrong, but I'll get your opinion on this. But I think the same dynamic that makes you feel like this person is, is my friend, they're real being personal. That is what kind of drives heckling sometimes is because people, it's, sometimes it's just alcohol. But sometimes yes. it's people feeling like, oh, they forget they're in a room full of people who've also paid to see the show. And then they feel too personally connected to the comedian, feel like, Somewhere they heard it in their mind that you've been invited to be into my in, in my life and in my show at the moment. And that kind of dynamic plays into the conversation. I want to have a conversation with you. I know you're in the middle of a show, but hey, how about, uh, <laughs> you know, that and just bring up other things that they want you to talk about. It's really bizarre when you see that. I've seen it recently and it turned yeah. out really well for the comedian. I saw it doing it because it ended up being one of the funniest parts of the night where he started having a conversation about a, a stripper bar across the street <laughs> with the guy in the audience. But uh, it's that, that whole dynamic of feeling like you're my friend is what kind of uh, tricks those people into forgetting their place. Don't do you agree? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, you know, it, it can be, it's tricky handling hecklers and whether they're heckling, which is kind of like a negative verb or just talking out loud, making comments, it can be distracting to comedians, but it also can lead to comedy gold as, as you've indicated. I think yeah. the best laughs at a comedy show are usually when it feels like something is happening that nobody will ever experience again. So right. I have a, I have a bit about a garlic press and I've told that bit in 20 different cities around the country. I've told it hundreds of times. If you see me tell that bit, it's probably going to be the same in San Francisco as it is in Long Island. Right. Uh, but if I'm talking to an audience member about uh, a local burger joint down the street and I start making fun of that or I'm talking about the room, making fun of the environment uh, that we're in, that is that's only going to happen in that small venue, big venue, doesn't matter. And people can, whether they know it, psychologically uh you know if they're aware of it or not they will laugh harder i can that's half of what you do on stage is just measuring people's laughs yeah. and how much fun people are having and that's definitely a pattern i've observed that uh folks laugh harder when things are unique and fresh right. to the situation i think my my one of my bugaboos for me personally, is I'm too analytical. So I will will be try to become aware of those things too much. And that ruins the experience. You gotta, you gotta kind of just experience it naturally than try to be an analyst in, in, in a lot of these situations, especially uh, with stand-up comedy. Like, what made that funny? And I, get, I will obsess about what made a joke funny. And, and the whole ride home, I'm thinking about one joke that the comedian said. And like, what? why did I laugh so hard about that? And what was, what was it in the delivery? My, my favorite jokes are the ones that I, I don't know why I'm laughing. 
And even after (laughs) thinking about it for a long time, I don't really get it, but something in my reptile brain, it was funny. And I really see that as genius in the, in the comedian's work because they can't explain why it's funny. And I I don't think you should have to. That's, that's part of what, you know, if you have to explain it too much, you you know, it's like, you you just, you're going to take the funny out of it. Just sometimes just dissecting a frog. Yeah. Speaking of hecklers, let's let's shout out some of these people on YouTube, huh? Yeah. Like Jamie Dykes and Selected is Pissed. And do you know any of these people? Because some of these people want to go to Colorado and work. I don't know, but I see him talking about Boulder and uh, Cripple Creek and yeah. So at high altitudes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Good stuff there. Uh, but with the with the heckling stuff, I just on that just for a moment. Um, and I'll, I'll move off of that. One of the things that really, um. I don't know, impressed me or just kind of had left a mark on me is how Norm McDonald handled some of that towards the end of, I know, I don't think he was always this way, but there were several instances of him having negative hecklers, you know, people just give him a hard time in the audience and he, he stopped the show pretty much. And then, cause the audience is like wanting to, Get him out of here! Shut him up! And, and Norm's like, no, no, this is an opportunity for me to have a conversation with. Him. And he gets into a a real break down the walls conversation and ends up like inviting the guy out to dinner after the show so they can work out their differences and all that kind of stuff. It's you know using comedy to break down walls has always been a thing, but never to that extent where it becomes personal. Like meet me after the show, I'll take you out to dinner and we'll talk about this kind of stuff. Uh, really, really. Um, I don't know. For me, that that was inspirational. I, everybody can't do that, obviously. But for me, that that was really um, a, a very cool thing. Uh, earlier, you talked about keeping your show short. Now, I I like that idea. I think show business you you can go you can do it too long. You can overstay your welcome and. The old adage was you leave them wanting more, as you kind of alluded to that. They always want more. They're sad that it ends. They want more. And that's always a good thing because then they want to come back and all. But I think that art form or, or that concept in the art form has been lost to a great degree where, and I see this a lot in specials, where there doesn't seem to be an, an end. It's just like, okay, my time is up. I'm just going to drop the mic and leave. Like, I didn't have a closer, that kind of thing. So that doesn't leave you necessarily wanting more. But then the, the whole thing about keeping it short, I've been to some shows recently where it was a physical abuse because I couldn't laugh. My face was hurting. My sides were hurting. And although I enjoyed it, at the end of it, it was too much. It was like it went on for two hours, and now I'm in pain. And now I'm like, I got a comedy hangover the next day. Huh. <laughs> Talk to uh, about any of or all of well, that. Well, it helps for the dates, too. Like, there's always a lot of couples in the audience. And there's always somebody who dragged somebody else to the comedy show. And it's I feel a personal responsibility as a showrunner to make sure that my hundred people in my audience still want to go see a comedy show after they come to my show. Because a lot of shows like the one you're talking about, it sounds like it was a hoot for two hours and that's great. But maybe maybe a show isn't great for two hours. And there are people in that audience that won't go to a comedy show again for 10 years. And you have ruined comedy for them and you've made it harder for comics everywhere. 
So, and, and you've made a, you've made an argument cause maybe there was a fight about, Hey, should we go see a movie or should we go to a comedy show? And there's a husband and a wife, the wife wants to go to comedy. The husband doesn't. And now the husband's pissed forever and lords it over the, over the wife. And you know, you don't, you don't want that. You don't want to be part of a, a, a dispute in a, in the home. And, uh, so yeah, just keep it short. Keep it simple. It's better to go an hour 20 than an hour 40. Yeah, I agree. And what about clo- closing on a, uh, like a closer note because i see and, and more and more i'm seeing this it used to be that it felt like there was a call back at the end that just tied a special together now i'm seeing it's like this is my act this is where i ran out of time uh and ne- not necessarily a closing bit i'm seeing more and more of that these do, do you agree with me on that perception uh i, I you know i don't have the data to to make a a good <laughs> comment on that i i will say that you know a good headliner will close very strong and right. if they want to you know if, if you i've done a lot of headlining spots and i've sold a lot of merch after shows and i sometimes i know like i kind of fumbled the ball at the end and i can see it in the merch sales so if if i want to sell some merch after the show it's in it's in it's my responsibility to close on an absolute killer joke and not just fizzle out. But there's some comics that are just, you know, they're more, th- their shtick is that they're just organic and, and things aren't pre-planned and, and prescribed like that. And and they do great as well. They're super funny. You know, it, it's really about the punchlines. If the punchlines are there, the show is going to be great. And Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. The, the uh, elite comedians i know always having a definite close you, you can you you can recognize the yeah. close of the show but i'm seeing more and more maybe because i uh, see so many local people just starting out i see more and more people who just you get to the point where they ran out of time it yeah. feels like they ran out of time yeah and it's always a good sign when when you recognize as an audience member oh this guy's about to say good night and right. goodbye right like this is the oh my goodness like i've been laughing at this level and that punchline just kicked it up 50 percent higher right. he's got to be going out on this or she's got to be going out on this or they're making a mistake yeah that, <laughs> that's showbiz man that's showbiz baby yeah <laughs> bruce willis knows yeah uh now you do do you do a podcast and like an interview a live stream so podcast? The, the, uh the comedians in cars thing that you were talking about, which was just called Mark Masters comedy, I think was the name of it, uh, was the closest thing I had to a consistent podcast. Uh, cause I, and it, it, it is released as a podcast. I have a couple newer episodes in the can that I haven't released yet. Once I get up to like 10 to 15, I'll probably do a season two of that. Uh, the other thing I do is every Friday night, I have a, what used to be a showcase called comedy test kitchen, I started in the you know first couple of months of the pandemic. I did every single Friday night. Hit a hundred episodes a few months ago, um, and and would have it was the fastest comedy show on the internet. Thirty minute comedy show. We'd have five comics. So I worked with over five hundred comedians from around the world, uh, every almost every continent. You know, uh, a lot of Europe, a lot of Asia. Uh, Forty nine of the American states. We had comics from. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And recently, though, the the audience has dwindled off a little bit. And so I pivoted the format to make it more interesting for me. <laughs> and it feels a little bit like a podcast now because it's just me and one other comic for 30 minutes. We get to know each other a little bit. 
And then we work on each other's jokes. Like I'll tell some new jokes I'm working on. They'll give me some ideas, help me punch it up, give me some new, uh, you know, avenues to explore, ways to lengthen, and uh, and then they'll they'll share some jokes, and uh, I'll help them. And, and then we have you, audience members as well that are live that are helping us punch up the jokes. Do you find that comedians are, are are generally open to working with other comedians or hearing input from other comedians? Yeah, on- not everybody is. You know, if I if I'm at a show and I and I have a tag for another comic, I'll always ask them before I give it to them. Like, are you open? any feedback to, to a, a tag or a suggestion. And, you know, I'd say 80% of the time the comics are like, yeah, absolutely. I might not use it, but yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, it's free. <laughs> you know, yeah. it can't hurt. One of, uh, one of the pet peeves that a lot of comedians I talk to about is when, you know, people, you know, laymen. Yeah, audience <laughs> members. Want to just tell, oh, you know, you should do this bit in right. your show. Or you should do a bit about this. That kind of. <laughs> I, I think it's fine. I mean, everybody's got a different temperature about that. But I I think it's, I don't mind interacting with, with the public in that Have way. you ever heard uh, something that you thought, wow, that's interesting. I'd, want, I'd use that. Oh, yeah. All the, really? all the really? time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, had, uh, I had a joke that somebody completely improved. Um, I. I I, I forget what my original joke was even, but they told me a similar story. It was basically about a dumb coworker and there was like a misunderstanding about some TV show I was explaining to them. And what they told me, I, this is like a total secret <laughs> that I'm now exposing. I tell this joke on stage all the time and I totally got it from an audience member. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the joke is that uh, I did I did a dumb audience member or, sorry, a dumb uh, co-worker who I was telling about a TV show. This was like a, a, a TV uh, documentary, uh, not science fiction or anything. And I explained that one of the protagonists got decapitated. And they, and they with a straight face, asked me if the character lived. <laughs> Which clearly means they don't know what the word decapitated means <laughs> and that was from an audience member i i can't even remember what the original misunderstanding over a word was but it was the same just replace decapitation with a different right. word and, yeah, yeah. and living with a different verb and it, it was the same thing and this this i think it was a woman told me like hey i had something really similar to that happen and and she told me that story where she told a co-worker about somebody getting decapitated and the person not knowing if the person was live or not afterwards. And now I, I, I don't tell that joke that frequently, but I've definitely told it on stage several times. That's pretty uh, funny. Yeah. Uh, so. yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm always astonished by um, stupidity. Stupid. Stupidity <laughs> makes me laugh a lot. <laughs> when I was in the hair and beauty industry, one of the things uh, I ran a, a website that taught people hair, uh, high end hair styling and hair cutting online. And, hairdressers out there i'm not i'm not really i am i am i'm branding you as all like the stupidest people in the world <laughs> uh some of the questions i got for I, I you know i can't log in i forgot my name how do i spell my name like wait a minute you sh- are you maybe you should call your mother not me <laughs> you know I, you forgot how to spell your name seriously and it wasn't like a screen name it was their name. Yeah, and their like, actual. Wait name. a minute, this. <laughs> yeah, bizarre. That's crazy. Um, 
Back to Colorado, if I can, for just a minute here. Now, uh, my perception of Colorado as a state is schizophrenia uh, or, uh, I don't know, bipolarism or uh, and not in a way just from you have you, your very hardcore right wing attitudes and very hardcore left wing attitudes kind of mixed together you ha- you have a state that is you know pro legal marijuana and very liberal in some some but but also pro gun pro and outdoorsy and all that kind of stuff is, is my perception uh close to being on on uh target from your perspective as somebody who lives there oh man i i'm like i'm old now and i don't i try to avoid that stuff I, I just like I'm so tired when I was young, I was so opinionated and I have opinions, but I try and just not engage with strangers on, you know, hot button topics. But I, I will tell you just, you know, from being a reader of the news, we're a purple state, you know, purple. We, we got yeah, blue people, a, we got red people. That's a better they, way of saying it than they, bipolar. <laughs> yeah, they, they tend to be uh, divided geographically. So the more rural areas tend to be red. Uh, and the cities where a lot of young people move, you know, Denver, Fort Collins, Boulder are more blue. But there's definitely, you know, I mean, America has changed in the last 10 years to where uh, just people are more vocal and, and upfront and in your face about how they feel about politics. I didn't used to always be that way. Right. Um, can so can anything become so political, Denver, though? What's that? Can anything become political? Because uh, I was talking this morning about Luis J. Gomez commenting on, you know, parenting. And, like, something as, as mundane as trying to make a joke about the state of parenting and all that stuff can trigger people into their political, you know, I'm going to make a political stance about this. I feel like there is no safe area where you can avoid politics completely. I mean, you can talk about inanimate objects. Yeah. I know a lot of jokes about inanimate objects, or you talk about Netflix or Airbnb. You know, there's not politics and that stuff. You talk about decapitation. <laughs> Republicans and Democrats get decapitated the same way. <laughs> Head comes clean off. That's what the word means. You know, uh, actually, uh, I believe this isn't too long ago that I read that a a head. Once a severed head can remain alive for up to ten minutes, that's that's what I. Uh, <laughs> can it be reattached, or it's just still? I, I, I don't. I didn't ask that question. To me, I was just okay. so dumbfounded about just trying to picture that. That's like, such a good word, dumbfounded. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, how you could possibly? I mean, the consciousness there. Can can you actually know you were decapitated and know that you know all of that stuff? It's baffling my mind. I. But up to 10 minutes, that's a long... I, I don't know if it could be right. There's too many... Ted Williams is working on 100 years coming up soon. Wait, He's got is, his head frozen somewhere. Is that true? Yeah. I know. It's, it's hard to tell, like, uh, you know, folklore or whatever, you know, urban legend from, from reality with a lot of... Because well, I mean, when I, I, when I, I was growing up, that. it was I've Walt read Disney. it in reputable sources <laughs> that he's, you know... What, yeah. What's the word for that? To freeze your... Uh, uh, Cryogenic, cryogenic, yeah, cryogenic freezing. Yes, yes, that's it. So I, I think he's been frozen. Walt Walt Disney was the one when I was growing up. That was the the, the big story was him. He was. Huh. I don't know if that was true either. But okay, 
anyway, getting off the decapitation. So, but yeah, I get what you're saying that you can find things that seem to have no political uh, connection to them. But I think sometimes audiences can try to push that uh, idea on, on stuff. So building up time. I know this is kind of, you know, it talked about over the idea of cancel culture and all that stuff and comedians being uh, having to walk on eggshells. I do think there's something to that, having to walk on eggshells about what you can and can't say without inciting or dividing your audience in some way. Uh, But to build up enough time for, you know, to build up an hour from an hour, a solid hour. Uh, any challenges there with saying, okay, uh, finding stuff that's completely non-political to build up an hour of? Um, I think it depends on the comedian. Um, you know, I mean, it's definitely, it's not easy to have a, a full hour of comedy. It takes a long time. A lot of bad jokes. <laughs> There's a huge mountain of terrible jokes that you tried at open mics that didn't work. You know, and you might write 10 minutes of material and get a a 15 word, like 20 second joke out of all that garbage. And then you need a lot of 20 second segments to to lead up to an hour. Right. Uh, I I don't have a lot of trouble with that. You know, some people might object that that my comedy isn't more personal and political, but my jokes have never really been. I kind of. You know, I, I read a lot of Jerry Seinfeld before I got into comedy and 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 the general idea is if you work clean, it's easy to go dirty later. And if you work clean and apolitical, you can make a lot of money on corporate stuff because there isn't money. When you work a club like these prestigious gigs, they don't pay well. It's right. really the corporate stuff that 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 pays the mortgage. Yeah. Uh, so I, so I I've always that. skewed. I mean, I have a couple kind of dirty jokes that I'll use occasionally. Like if I go do one of these oil mining towns, the lesson I've learned is if I start dirty, I just tell a couple, you know, PG 13 to maybe R jokes in the beginning. And I do 45 minutes of clean stuff. People don't even notice that you were clean the whole time. Right. Get it. We are speaking of comedy clubs. It's time to let go of governors for the morning. And so they can go on with knock them dead comedy, which starts it in 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, Goodbye, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Speaking of governors, have you ever been out here on Long Island and played governors comedy club? I haven't. I'm familiar with it. It's been in some movies, some comedy movies. Right. Uh, I feel like for some reason I've seen tape of Jessica Curson at Governor's Comedy Club. And I don't know if that's because I saw it in a movie or, or some other reason, yeah. uh, but she's one of my favorite comics. So I'm sure Governor's is a great club and a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. We got a question out there. Uh, what if I hit a Democrat with an inanimate object? Well, <laughs> Jamie, as long as you hit a Republican as well, then then we're... Uh, then, then, then everybody's happy. We're fair yeah. and square. And <laughs> that threw me completely off. Whatever I, wherever I intended to go. All right, you were going with Governor's Comedy Club. Oh yeah, no, I was just because we would love to. Uh, you know, I'd love to be. I don't travel much, and I'm not. Oh, getting, okay, I'm yeah, I hear, I hear where you're headed. I'd love to get out there. You know what's funny? We were talking earlier about uh, personal relationships with audiences and and kind of the the dynamic that's a little different in show business with with stand up comedians. One of the business strategies I have, whether it's smart or not, I have no idea. Only time will tell. Is that I try and focus on specific <laughs> geographical markets, um, and so like I'll return to the same markets over and over again. So if I make twenty trips over a couple of years, 
ideally I'm only going to like four or five cities that whole time instead of going to 20 different cities. Right. Because every time I go back, I pick up a, a couple more fans who sign up for my monthly e-newsletter or, or whatever. And, and then I can try and draw them the next time. And maybe I only draw like one fan in Cleveland, which I recently went to for the first time. But hopefully the next time I go, I'll draw five fans and a time after that, 15 fans, et cetera. So Long Island hasn't been on, on my list. New York city is though. So I'm not that far away. I go to new, I try to go to New York one to two times a year. Uh, so I could get to Long Island pretty. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would definitely, I, you know, I'm getting more and more, I want to start producing my own show and, and I've never done it. I've never done it, which is a real shortcoming when you want to do something. It's, it's like becoming a, be a, a raw beginner on on. I put together plenty of music shows, but never comedy shows. It's always it's hard whole... to start. Yeah, that's the hardest part is just yep. getting started. But I'd say I'd say this to anybody. This is common advice I give to people wanting to get into comedy. Just start. You're not going to be, you know, Dave Chappelle on day one. Just right. start. Cause you got to start somewhere and then you can only improve from there. But there, there's, there's a few common things that if you're going to start a show, you know, it, it helps to have a good lineup, pay for good comics. Uh, you want the room to be full. So don't book a 200 person room. If you can only sell 10 tickets, you can right. have an okay comedy show with 10 audience members. If it's in a 15 person room, you know, if it's in a small enough space, the right. more the venue is like a fire hazard, the better it is for comedy. So <laughs> hard to get out, you know, down some subterranean stairs, low ceilings, uh, super dark. Uh, there's a whole lot of psychology in comedy rooms. You don't want people like if you have people in a circle and they can see each other's faces and there are open windows and it's light out. That's terrible. I Nobody know. Nobody wants to laugh at objectionable material when they feel like other people can see them. But if oh. you're trapped and you can't turn side to side and even see the person next to you and everybody is pointed directly at the stage, you whether you know it or not, psychologically, you feel free to laugh at punchlines that are probably subversive and, and, and divisive and, uh, you know, like I something you might not laugh at in front of your boss. I get that. And there is a whole lot of this, what you we talked about psychology of, of the room and all that, kind, you know, setting up a room, darkness, all that kind of stuff. I've noticed that big time. And this is where I wanted to talk about uh, when I said I forgot where I was going before is the corporate stuff. Cause you mentioned corporate stuff. I do some corporate work. Listen, I do it for the money. Uh, it's not the most artistically fulfilling uh, gig that I would take, but it's for the money. But the rooms now, I'm I'm interested in comedy because for because for me, sometimes they will dim the stage lights and and kind of make it like feel like a theater. But for the most part, I'm doing it before like a sales talk or something like that, and it's really a stuffy room full of brightly lit people who and they're not necessarily all facing the stage together. They can see the person right next to them. They can see everybody in the room. It's all very corporate feeling. Is that, is that difficult from, from the comedy perspective? Oh, yeah. Uh, the room <laughs> makes a, a, a big difference. Um, but, you know, there's, always, there's opportunity there as well. In a, in a pitch black environment where you have a spotlight on you and you can't see the audience, 
there's very little opportunity for crowd work and getting some of that magic we were talking about earlier where it's only for this show. Uh, if it's brightly lit, you might as well take advantage of that and engage with the audience. You know, talk to the guy with a funny tie or the, the lady who's not paying attention and has her face in the phone. And you can talk about, you know, how we're all addicted to our screens. And then, you know, you can you can make I'm I'm a very optimistic person. I'm always thinking you, you can make good out of turds. Uh, and it That's sounds good... like those, some of those corporate gigs you're describing were uh, were poopy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and some of it I know because I've done them with comedians, too. And a lot of the comedians who do them, they write original material for that company or for that business that they're doing. Do you do that? Oh, yeah. I, I did a over the pandemic. I did a pickleball group and I wrote 10 minutes of pickleball material. And I still do like <laughs> two to three minutes of it in my act because uh, it's universal and it works. But some of it was a little too specific for wider audiences. But I wonder if the whole audience, if the people know what pickleball is. I only found out through, on my nighttime show, a lawyer I was uh, interviewing uh, introduced me to it about a year and a half ago. Then I found out it's like a... a huge thing in america right now it's america's fastest growing sport That's it really is told. yeah yeah you, pick, you pickleball i've i've played like once or twice but that's it <laughs> not more than five times i'm not wow. a big pickleballer myself well good for you to be able to come up with 10 minutes of pickleball material on when you need it i mean that that shows um professionalism but also dedication to your craft and all that kind of stuff good 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 for you yeah uh, uh, so anything you got, so the, the, the veil thing is what, uh, September 15th, I believe it the, is the next show, September 15th. We do one show a month in veil veil comedy show.com. We'll have all our headliners. It's not public yet, but Sam talent will be our October headliner. And we have Sam great talent? headliners booked all the way through the middle of next year and more coming after that. Every Memorial day weekend next year will be May 26th through 28, 2023 is veil comedy festival. See on the backdrop here, bailcomedyfestival.com. We get 30 plus comedians, you know, seven plus venues, all within walking distance in beautiful Vail, Colorado. It's a great time to visit Vail, have a lot of fun. And we do pop up shows occasionally. I'll get TV famous comics call me or email me and be like, hey, I, I heard you run a great show in Vail. I'm in the area. I got, you know, can you get me anything on a Wednesday night? And I'll call wow. up a hotel and say, hey, that cool lounge you have would it be possible to do a comedy show on this date. And then when all the stars align, we'll do a pop-up show and those will show up usually on veilcomedyshow.com as well. Do me a favor. When Sam talent comes out there, remind him that he, he owes me a, if you can remember, he owes me a visit. He... <laughs> okay. He's supposed to go to Long Island. I'll tell uh, him. I'll no, tell no. Him he, he's been on this show and he was supposed to be on this show. Uh, he had some uh, personal tragedy a couple of, uh, about a year ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was almost a year ago. He was supposed to be on the show to, to promo his latest special, uh, Waiting for Death to Claim Us. He's been on a number of times and okay. always had a good time with Sam. But then uh, we had him on the Potathon. We, we were doing a, a fundraiser for somebody who had cancer. He was doing it for, while driving his car and we thought he drove off a mountain. And I haven't talked to him. <laughs> <laughs> it was live live streaming, and then all of a sudden we saw the side of a mountain, and he was gone. And uh, we haven't heard from him since. So if you remind him, say, "My dog wants you back." <laughs> all right, I'll tell him. I'm probably emailing him today, so maybe I'll I'll drop it in there. Uh, uh, Kelly's got a great comment about cornhole and and pickleball. Cornhole is is the is the fat person's pickleball, basically. 
<laughs> I don't Very love the funny. I don't love the name. They need to change the name of that. Yeah. <laughs> Beanbag toss. Yeah. Something like that. Be, be, there you go. We should put you in charge of all marketing for all uh trends and in, in yeah. I know we're running out of time, Mind Dog. I just want to say I know, this I is really a, fun. I really appreciate the audience. I really appreciate you. You're you're great at conducting. And I didn't think I could talk for an hour, and it went by like that. So well, I, I appreciate that. Your I wish you great success. I'm going to encourage people to stay in touch with you. And anything you have to promote, please just send it to me, and I'll mention it oh, on yeah. the morning program. I got this day. book, not good yet. If anybody's a reader out there, send me a note through my website. I'll send you a signed copy. We will. Mark, thank you for getting up early and being part of the program, and have a great day. Bye for now. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Mark Masters, folks. Vail Comedy uh, and and the uh, Comedy Festival out there. So, uh, And check it out at uh, markmasters.co and the YouTube channel Mark Masters Comedy. Check it out today. I'd love to know what you think about that. That's the show for today, folks. Uh, Mark's a great guy. Like like his attitude about so many things uh, in comedy. And, you know, refreshing, refreshing to see. Um, Love to hear your uh, opinions on it. Write to me at info at minddogtv.com. Tomorrow, Dean O'Hara will be with me. We don't have a scheduled guest. Dean has been kind of a co-host on Wednesdays for the last seven weeks or so. Uh, been on numerous numerous times. Uh, last week, <clears throat> we kind of had a our, uh, Jenny Jones, uh, Jerry Springer, Maury Povich uh, kind of episode. Uh, we'll see if I can't uh, piss Dean off enough to rekindle a little bit of that tomorrow by trying to force him to dance against his will. Uh, or whatever else I can bring up that will agitate him just a little bit. Uh, so we'll we'll be doing that tomorrow. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your day. And um, yeah, don't forget to turn on your radio. Okay.
to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.